Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? My name is Jack. And I'm Nat. And today, Nat has a super fun topic that she has not told me about yet, but I heard it was sad. It's a scary story, actually. It's scary. I'm gonna... I have a scary bedtime story. All right. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, actually, today I am talking about the Iranian hostage crisis. Yay! (laughs) Right before we recorded this, Nat and I were talking about the Foreign Service, and you're just, I was getting a little bit of cold feet, like, do I want to be a Foreign Service officer? Which is natural. <laughs> Some of you may be able to yeah. relate. But then Nat was like, It's a oh, big decision. Yeah, this topic is not going to help with your inner <laughs> yeah, crisis like, right now. <laughs> this is definitely not going to, yeah, assure you. It's a little bit scary. But, um, yeah, I, it's a really important topic. Um, do you know a lot about this? Yeah, like, I do. About the Iranian because crisis. Jimmy Carter lost his second term, and Jimmy Carter's like my maybe second favorite like, president, top five. <laughs> is he really? Yeah, just because he was very nice. <laughs> but he's but really he nice. he was very nice, and yeah. that that'll play a part in this conflict. He's a little too nice. Um, yeah, but before we get into the episode. We have a special announcement to make. The How Did We Not Know That podcast has won our first ever award. You guys, this is crazy. We won an award. Um, I can't believe it. Literally, we were selected as one of the highly commended podcasts of the year. Um, So thank you to all of our listeners for your support. We couldn't have won this award. <laughs> yeah. Without Not that all I'm of sure you guys. nobody knew we were in this contest. Like I forgot we were in the contest, you know. So, but thanks yeah, to you guys I for mean, listening. Yeah. It's not a Grammy one day, but Yeah. But the good but, news is that so our prize for anyone who's curious, we won little microphones from Rode. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rode. They're a microphone company from Australia down under. But uh yeah, so hopefully our audio improves because now we'll actually have mics. Nat and I still use iPhones and like crappy Amazon mics, so we're really yeah, excited. If you can't tell, they're like, Oh yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so yeah thanks again for supporting us and you guys should look forward to hopefully improved audio with our brand new microphones um so yeah that's what you get if you guys support us then 
we just keep getting better and better. But yeah, hopefully we win yeah. more awards. If you guys know more contests, let us know. Let's submit. <laughs> Let's get this going. Feel free to nominate us for any contest you see. Yeah. Anything with giveaways. <laughs> we love free stuff. We really needed it. I think yeah, in the application, I was like, our audio is so bad. Please help. And <laughs> we got selected. Literally. Yeah, and speaking of, like, if there's things you want to give us, you can <laughs> give us your money by contributing to our Patreon account. Uh, you can find us on Patreon and become a history hero um, with a small monthly donation. So, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, yeah, I guess back to the episode. Before I get into the episode, we're going to pose a question. I'm going to ask Jack a question, and then at the end of the episode... We will find out the answer. Okay, Jack, how long do you think the Iranian hostage crisis lasted? I know the answer. Do you know? Do you know the answer? Yeah. Okay. But should I say? No, let's save it, though. I know it, though. So we'll go. It was a while. It was a while. Okay, so Jack already knows it. But for those of you listening, if you don't know it, <laughs> you can make your guess and don't Google check it. At the <laughs> Just end. listen don't to Google this it. episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to understand the Iranian hostage crisis, we have to understand the history of Iranian-U.S. relationships. And pretty much, brief summary is that tensions have always been high between Iran and the U.S. for a very long time mostly due to conflicts over oil. So pretty much as soon as Iran discovered that they have petroleum reserves, the British and the U.S. came in and they started controlling the majority of their petroleum reserves. So Iran didn't really have control or authority or uh, like financial ownership over these reserves. So Britain and the U.S. were profiting over this. However... In 1951, the newly elected prime minister of Iran, his name is Mohammad Mossadi. He's a European-educated nationalist, and he announces that he wants to nationalize the country's oil industry. So he's like, actually, it's going to be owned by Iran. So America, the UK, like, you guys can leave. Um, oh, well, that makes sense. That's and, a good idea. Yeah. 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 He's like, actually, like, this is our land, so we're going to profit off of it. Yeah. But surprise, surprise, America and Britain were not happy about that. So the American CIA and the British intelligence services responded by grouping together and devising a secret plan to overthrow Mossadi. And replace him with another leader who would be more cooperative with Western powers. So through this coup, Mossadi is deposed and then a new government is installed in August of 1953. When you say so deposed, again, just, is that they didn't kill him, did he's like, he? No, no, oh, he didn't okay. kill him. He's just like, they, they kind of supported... Um, like, the creation of a coup and, like, just general, like, public dissent, okay. government dissent. They're like, hey, everybody, we shouldn't like this guy. Oh, it's like, okay, okay, I guess now we don't. Um, but, yeah, he was not, like, assassinated. Okay. Um, so then the new leader that's put into power, his name is Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi, and he was part of the Iranian royal family. 
And so this new government is secular, it's anti-communist, and pro-Western. And for those who are secular, just a reminder, it means that there's, like, separation between, like, church and state, like, religion and state. Um, so he's anti-communist, communist, pro-Western. So obviously that means, that's, like, good news for uh, Western countries. And so... What So the new prime minister and the U.S. come to an agreement. Basically, the U.S. gives Iran tens of millions of dollars in foreign aid, and then the new Shah gives the U.S. 80% of Iran's oil reserves to oh. America and, the, and Britain, actually. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, like, at first they were like, oh, no, we're not going to have control over Iran's oil. But then they're like, we have a solution. Like, let's just find someone who will agree to give us control. Yeah, a majority. Um, That's a lot. That's not even... 80%. Yeah. yeah. So they only own 20% of that. Whoa. Um, Okay. Yeah. And oil, that's a lucrative business. They're making lots of money. Yeah. Um, so because of this, uh, many Iranians begin to resent the U.S. and their intervention in Iranian affairs. So to make matters worse, well, not, uh, maybe I shouldn't say that, but on top of this, the Shah, which by the way, Shah is like kind of another word for like king, um, is kind of equivalent to a king, but yeah, so the Iranian Shah that the U.S. government supported, like this new guy who's doing this new oil deal, he turned out to be a super brutal dictator, and his secret police tortured and murdered thousands of Iranians. So, like, not only did he get into this oil deal that people, like, weren't agreeing with, then he turns out to be incredibly violent, and it's a really brutal government. Yeah, yeah. The government um, that we and, helped in, in state, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then just furthermore, like to add insult to injury, the Iranian government is spending billions of dollars on American-made weapons while back at home the Iranian economy is suffering. Whoa. So if you're like a regular Iranian civilian, you're definitely not going to have positive views of America. You're like, first of all, they're, like, taking all the money out of Iran from these oil deals. Yeah. And then also this government who is uh, super violent towards me, like, is spending all of the money that could be going toward, back towards these people. They're spending it on weapons that are coming from America. So America is profiting off of that too. Right. You know? Oh, this is terrible. Yeah. Wow. So obviously people are incredibly angry and specifically they're angry at America. Oh, okay. So by the 1970s, where all of this takes place in the 1970s, many Iranians are fed up with this new Shah's government. Um, and then they turn to the radical revolutionary Islamist movement led by an anti-American cleric. His name is Ayatollah Rahola Khomeini. And so, so he comes, he's like the figure, he's the leader of this uh, anti-American revolutionary movement. Uh, and then in July 1979, these revolutionaries forced the Shah out of power and they forced him to flee to Egypt. So he's out of the picture. Mm-hmm. 
So the pro-American guy is out of the picture. He flees to Egypt. And then the Ayatollah, that Ayatollah Khomeini, he's the one that was the head of the revolution. He installs a militant Islamist government in its place. And so the former Shah, he's obviously an ally to the U.S., but back then, like, at first when this happened, we really didn't defend the Shah, mainly because we just didn't want to cause any trouble in the region. We were like, sorry, I know you're an ally, but, like, we don't want to start anything. Mm -hmm. However, the Shah later developed severe advanced stage cancer. Oh, okay. And I'm remembering so, this. So, yeah. yeah, and so in October 1979, President Jimmy Carter allows the exiled Shah to come to the US so he so we can treat his cancer. So again, like so all of this happens during the Carter administration um and kind of like we were saying earlier President Jimmy Carter was very much a humanitarian leader. He had very strong morals. He was, like, a really nice guy. Yeah, that's what everyone <laughs> describes him as in history. He's Just a, a bit too nice, nice to be guy. president. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, maybe sometimes his strong morals kind of outweighed, like, kind of, like, clouded his political decision-making. Yeah. Um. Because, again, like... That probably wasn't, like, politically, strategically, maybe it was a bit of a risky move to let him come in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But again, like, yeah, you just got to think, like, this man, he was a former U.S. ally, and he's seeking medical care. So, anyway, regardless of what you think about it, he ends up in the country, and he's being treated for his cancer. Mm -hmm. And because of this... Anti-American sentiment in Iran exploded. Iranians were just fed up. Like, they were just so done with America. And student revolutionaries were looking for a dramatic way to, like, declare a break from Iran's past. They're like, past. Again, it's like the 1970s. You have to, like, remember. Like, that's when, like, all these coups are happening. It's all these changes in government. All these um, fights for independence. Like, everything's changing in this, like, in the within a decade you know Mm -hmm. so it's like the time for change so they're like okay this is our time to change they want to declare an end to america's influence in iranian affairs and they also want to raise the profile of the revolution's leader ayatollah khomeini like they want him to be like internationally recognized you know Mm -hmm. and so on november 4th 1979 just as the shah arrived in the u.s a group of Iranian students smashed the gates and scaled the walls of the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, taking 98 people, including 66 Americans, hostage. And basically, like, the students are demanding the return of the exiled Shah. They want him, they want the U.S. to give him back to Iran so they can punish him accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously, the U.S. doesn't agree to this. So most of the hostages that were taken were diplomats and embassy employees. After a short period of time, 13 hostages were released. I think it was like within a week, Mm -hmm. approximately. Um, These hostages were mostly women and African-Americans and citizens of other countries, of countries other than the U.S. Um, 
I guess, like, Khomeini, when when this happened, Khomeini was like, oh, like, it's okay if we let them go because they're already subject to the oppression of American society. So, like, yeah. (laughs) So he's like, yeah, yeah. So, and then even later, a 14th hostage was sent home due to medical issues. Um, He needed to seek better medical care, so they let him go. Um, Because you have to remember, like, the... It's such a tricky, it's like, it's like Jenga, like, so when all these revolutionaries and all these protesters are storming the embassy, embassy officials cannot shoot them, because if they shoot an Iranian citizen, like, that's, that's gonna lead to war. Oh, yeah. And same thing the other way, so, like, if they kill any of these hostages, that's gonna lead to war, so it's like, yeah, so it's like a very difficult, oh, it's like a very scary balance, Mm -hmm. um, so another just another story is that on the day of the attack on the embassy, six American diplomats hid in the home of Canadian diplomat John Sheardown. And then so they're hiding in the ambassador's house. But then it's like, how do you leave the country? You know, like you can't just go to the airport and you're like, hi, I'm an American. Like they're rounding up all the Americans, you know. And so Canadian Prime Minister Joe Clark issued passports to the six Americans so they could evade capture. Um, But it's, like, so much more complicated. This is literally the plot of the movie Argo. Have you seen Argo? No, I haven't. Okay. I watched it for research for this. It's literally about just how they got these six Americans out of the country. Because, like, okay, then it's, like, they... Even if you give them Canadian passports, they're going to be, in like... You have to go through customs at the airport, so they're going to be like, what were you doing here? You have to have a credible reason as to, like, why you were here. And then also you have to, like, lie. Like, they're going to ask you about, like, your whole background. So you have to, like, be, like, undercover, like, and have this whole... Story. I guess, like, yeah, a story about, like, oh, you're this Canadian, you know? And so it's a great movie. Um, Argo was... It was such a good movie. I definitely recommend it. I think it won, like... It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. don't know if it won, but... It was really good. And it had a lot of historical facts. And it really put it everything into perspective. But, yeah. Anyway. Okay, um, I'll check it out. <laughs> I yeah, feel like you recommend, really good. you recommend things to watch. Or a movie every single episode. You recommend a new movie. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to watch, like, historic movies based on historical events i don't know yeah it's like more exciting rather than just like reading the articles like that we have to do for research right i used to do the same thing when i was taking a shakespearean course i just watched the plays because reading it is so not exciting yeah i don't even understand what and again it's hard to get the emotions like you know like when you're reading shakespeare like it's easier to understand what the emotion is when you see it and like same thing like Argo, like, when I first read about this story about the they escape, like, I didn't really think of uh, how stressful that was and, like, how intense and how complicated. And then I saw the movie, I'm like, oh, my God, like, how did this happen, you know? So, like, it was just a couple sentences in an article, but now, yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. puts it into perspective. Yeah. But, yeah. So, anyway, by midsummer of 1980... 52 hostages remained in the embassy compound and diplomatic maneuvers and economic sanctions had no effect on the crisis. 
it was really hard to find people on the Iranian side to have like meaningful negotiations with, you know, because it is like this revolutionary rebel government. So it's like, how do you communicate with them? Like, how do you like sit down and like come to uh, a resolution? Um, so the hostages themselves, they were never seriously injured, like with bodily harm. However, they were subject to just really demeaning and horrifying treatments. So, for example, they were blindfolded and then they were paraded around, like around Tehran in front of TV cameras and screaming crowds. They weren't allowed to speak or read. They just had to sit in silence, like all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And they were rarely like they were rarely allowed to change their clothes, and throughout the crisis, like you have to realize, like they there was all this like really horrifying uncertainty about their fate. Like they didn't know if they would be tortured, if they were going to be murdered, or if they would be set free. It was just every day you're like you don't know what's going on, um, and so obviously the effort to bring the hostages home as soon as possible became one of President Carter's top priorities. Um, But he had tried the diplomatic route. He tried the diplomacy route. He tried, like, economic sanctions. That wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so finally in April 1980, President Carter is just super frustrated with how slow everything is moving. Um, And he kind of goes against the advice of all of his, like, advisors um and he decides to launch a risky military rescue mission known as operation eagle claw so this operation was supposed to send an elite rescue team into the embassy compound and like grab all the american hostages and then bring them home that's so Um, hard how does it even work it's really hard i don't even know how that works and like i don't know how you go about doing that without like, how do you sneak them out? Like, you know, because yeah. obviously they're heavily guarded. And as soon as, like, they sense anything, like, they're all going to be killed, you know? So Yeah, I don't, exactly. I, yeah, so, like, it just seems super risky. But, I mean, also, it's, like, it, I can't imagine being in that situation. Like, if it's all on you and you're, like, I've tried, like, every other way, you know? Yeah, I remember um, I watched a documentary on this. I don't know why. It was like a late night YouTube sesh. But uh, a lot of people asked Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter, why he didn't just bomb the place, I guess, and yeah. you know, show America's strength in our military presence. But the reason why he didn't want to do that was because he knew that that would result in all of the American hostages yeah, dying, all be killed. more innocent people in Iran dying, and also a following yeah. war that would probably emerge. So they would go to work. Yeah. Like that's the thing if it's a hostage crisis, like obviously like they're being held as like a threat. Like if you do anything to hurt us, like these hostages are going to get killed. So yeah. it's like you it's a really I don't know how you solve that. Like I can't imagine how stressful that must have been. Right. Um and like the whole country is like counting down every day, you know? And like of right. course it's because you're like what the heck? Was like, this that... is just a horrifying was their only yeah. condition that they wanted the Shah to be sent back? No, their conditions were, like, you need to... It was first, it was, like, you need to 
send over like all of the Shah's wealth, like however much money he has, needs to be sent back to Iran. You need to submit like a formal apology. You need to like give up control over your oil reserves. Ooh. And then yeah, so it was like pretty high demands. Yeah. Like that's the it's not like we and then again, you know, America's policy is that we don't give in to terrorist threats, you know? Yeah. So that's another thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, like that was like that's everything is you don't give in to terrorist threats. Um Wow. Yeah, and then it's also like like this isn't like your only thing you have to focus on like you're also like running a country yeah there's other wars breaking out elsewhere and it's just yikes i never would want to be president um (laughs) i guess in conclusion um (laughs) so yeah so operation eagle claw was supposed to rescue the hostages from the embassy compound however a severe sandstorm on the day of the mission caused several helicopters to malfunction including one helicopter that veered into a large transport plane during takeoff and eight american servicemen were killed in this accident (gasps) oh no and so operation eagle claw was aborted before they even got there yeah so not only were the hostages not rescued but then we also lost eight lives yeah just this attempt wow but like the bodies they had to leave the bodies in Iran. Uh-huh. And so then, like, the Iranian mi- military, like, got hold of their bodies. And they, like, paraded their, like, dead bodies around. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It's, like, awful. So it's, like, and then that's being broadcasted, too. So it's, like, not only did these men die, but then this is what happened to them after, you know. Yeah. So it's just, like, a really awful. Like, this is such a huge defeat. And so... Jimmy Carter's, oh sorry, President Carter's Secretary of State at the time was Cyrus Vance. And he, like, before Operation Eagle Claw, he was like, don't do it. Like, I don't support this. Mm-hmm. And then this happened. It was a failure. So he resigned in protest. And it was, like, the first um, Secretary of State to, like, publicly, like, resign and, like, publicly say that it was because of his disagreements with the president mm-hmm. in, like, a long time since, like, the 1800s or something. So what did so like, the secretary- it's not a very common thing. Yeah, what did the Secretary of State want to do? Did they just want to... He didn't want to... Like, he wasn't looking for, like, a confrontational military approach. Okay. He wanted to stick to diplomacy, economic sanctions. But then President Carter was like, well, we have to, like, wrap this up. Yeah, it's We have to get these houses home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's like, how can you predict that? Like, yeah, it's just really unfortunate. Um, yeah. So, by May 1980, the U.S. convinced its closest allies to institute an economic embargo against Iran. But this didn't affect negotiations. <laughs> like, still, again, economic sanctions weren't working. And then, July 27th, the former Shah that, like, this all started, the one who he went to the U.S. for cancer treatment, he dies. Mm. And then that, like, really doesn't change anything either and so the u.s is like what the heck so it really wasn't until mid-august of 1980 when iran finally installed officially installed a new government so then like negotiations seem a little bit more hopeful because it's like finally we have like actual people to talk to Mm -hmm. and then on additionally on september 22nd iraq invaded iran 
And this would lead to the Iran-Iraq war. Mm. And so now Iran is at war with Iraq. So they need money to fight this war. But they have all these economic sanctions on them. So the embargo affects Iran's military capabilities. So that so that's like, they're like, okay, maybe, hmm, maybe we do need to start negotiations. And then furthermore, when the new prime minister visited the UN in October of 1980, like many of the other world leaders he met with there made it very clear that they're not going to support Iran in this war as long as they have American hostages. So it's like, okay, Hmm. that war really changed things. So as a result, Iran began to pursue negotiations with the U.S., although they refused to negotiate directly. So Algerian diplomats acted as a middleman for the negotiations, which this is like something that always really interests me. This happens like quite a lot with like negotiations or like treaty signings. Like it'll always happen through like a third, not always, but oftentimes it happens through like a third party. Mm -hmm. So like in this case, it was like Algeria as a middleman. But I'm always so curious, like how do you... How do you choose who is the middleman? And yeah. Like how, why would this country agree to that? This and so I'm like, wow. It just seems even more complicated because it's like you have to negotiate with Algeria to get them to negotiate with yeah. Iran. You know. It does add another like just, layer. And how do you choose a non-biased third party? Yeah, that's I'm like wow. That's like such a a tricky process, and you like really have to be careful but mm-hmm. yeah I always and then think that part of, your negotiation yeah. skills will get lost in translation I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with Chris Voss yeah from the our master <gasps> yeah. yeah yeah I watched the master class right no well Chris Voss <laughs> is so good at negotiation hostage negotiation particularly but yeah. if you have to use a third party you can't use the tactics Chris Voss is using it's just if the third party That's wants right. to use it yeah yeah, all of, a lot of, not all of it, but a lot of his tactics were based on, like, the language you use. Mm-hmm. But imagine negotiating in a different language. Then that all is thrown out the window, you know? Right. Like, translation issues. Totally but. true. But, okay, so Iran really wanted that embargo lifted, so an agreement was made between the U.S. and Iran, finally. Okay. Um, so on January 21st, 1981, 444 days after the crisis began. So that's the answer to our question. How long did the Iranian ho- hostage crisis last? It lasted 444 days, which is a, such a long time. That's, that's a, I over a imagine. Yeah. Like, I, just to be in such horrifying awful living conditions i i don't know i can't imagine the impact that has on you and how you survive that i can't imagine like oh my god just not being able to speak yeah not being able to read just everything it's your time like time is so valuable time is really valuable to me as you probably know from our friendship but um (laughs) yeah so just taking like someone's time away you can't get any of that back it was a whole year of your life that could have been spent, you know, with loved ones, making new memories, and you just have a whole, like, gap in your life, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's so amazing, like, it's, it's really incredible that they were able to survive it, and, like, they escaped 
alive, you know? Yeah. But, wow. That, I'm sure a lot of just, them got That's PTSD. such a long time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You have to deal with, like, the seems... lasting medical effects. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, so... It was 444 days, and it was they were released literally hours after President Ronald Reagan's inaugural address. So it was like as soon they were waiting, like as soon as President Carter left office, like they were not gonna let it come to an end during his presidency. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. So obviously, the hostage crisis had a huge effect um on america on iran on the world so first of all like this is really important to start off with like this important note is that the hostage crisis like hostage crisis led to a lot of hate towards iranians living in america and like middle easterns living people from the middle east living in america in general you know Mm -hmm. it just led towards a lot of hate um against those groups of people, so, and, <laughs> I don't know why I'm just like that, um, and then additionally, the hostage crisis made the Carter administration look weak and ineffective, the Soviet Union took advantage of this moment of weakness in order to win strategic advantages for itself, and so, in 1979, while the hostage crisis is going on, The Soviet-supported Marxist rebels made, like, strong victories in Ethiopia, Angola, and Mozambique. Mm. And then also, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan during this in order to support the Marxist government there. But, yeah, so, like, this had a impact, like, this affected the whole rest of the world, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because the U.S. was so caught up in this. And many historians believe that this crisis was the reason President Carter didn't win a second term because obviously all of this is going on during the 1980 election and that clearly does not help his campaign. But Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Jimmy <laughs> Carter, President Jimmy, ex-president, what, I'll just call him Jimmy Carter. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Jimmy Carter thinks that this is the reason he Oh, lost. yeah, for sure. It probably was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, like, it's not the only reason. Certainly didn't help. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because President Reagan won in, like, a landslide. Mm. It was not close, so. So, yeah, I guess that that is the Iranian hostage crisis. Wow. It's scary. Super scary. scary. Because, yeah. Um, Well, what frustrates me is that the very first president you said he was before you know the shah got instated yeah u.s help with the u.s Mm -hmm. and the british governments um the very first president was european educated so i completely agree with what that president was trying to do which is build iran up and keep their natural resources within the country so that they can profit off of that and then use that wealth to grow the country and so where did they if he's European educated, he took those capitalistic tactics from Europe and America, which is what we use, but when it affects our ability to gain wealth and our ability to have access to those resources, then we stamp you down for the same lessons that we follow. Yeah. So that's what's yeah. really frustrating. 
Yeah, no, that is really frustrating. And, like, yeah, that's the thing is, like, I, like to me, it's completely understandable why... Like, I understand their frustration behind the fact that the U.S. is profiting off of their oil reserves and they're interfering in their politics, in their government. Like, that is very frustrating. Yeah. Um, because... Does not mean that... That's the reason why a lot of countries that we see especially in some african countries today especially a lot of them their natural resources still to this day get exported yeah by european countries in america so mm-hmm. that's why a lot of those countries are very slow with their economic growth yeah and that's the thing is like if all these like injustices are being committed against groups of people like this obviously like people are not going to be okay with this like they're not gonna just let it go by and be like peaceful and happy you know Mm -hmm. like people's frustration they're gonna like get even frustrated they're gonna become frustrated and get like more and more upset until like they reach a certain point when they're not making rational decisions you know Mm -hmm. like you just reach a breaking point when everything explodes like it's not just one person. It's, like, a whole group of society, like, a whole society, and, like, things can escalate so quickly in a mob mentality setting like that, you know? So. That split, man. Could we have avoided it had we not split it so unevenly? That's what really bothers yeah. me. That would anger anyone. Yeah, maybe. So maybe that should be the moral of the lesson. It's yeah. You don't need to... Maybe we don't need to, like, steal things from other people. Yeah, maybe... <laughs> maybe we should stop stealing yeah. things. Because <laughs> that's how it all started, you know? But... But, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, Nat, for covering this <laughs> episode. This was... Uh, covering this topic, sorry. This is such a good topic. It's a huge event in U.S. history, so if you had never heard of it, now you know. Also, how much of this affects U.S.-Iranian relations today? I mean, they're not great today. I know. We still have a tense relationship with them. That's the thing, is like, yeah, the hostages were released, but it's not like, oh, now we're friends. Yeah. Um, Definitely, the relations are still very so yes. there hasn't hasn't been a resolution but anyways all right but well but anyway <laughs> i was sad uh, so sad and for, scary yeah Ooh, scary dreams it's important to know how events in the past affect our relations today with other countries so i'm glad that you covered this and now we have a better idea as to why we have a strained relationship with iran today okay well Yep, thank you, and we'll see you guys next week. (laughs) Bye, Bye, everyone. Bye. This has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That? If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media at HDWNKT and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, check out our website at HDWNKT.com to find all of our show notes and study guides for each episode. You can help us improve the quality of the podcast by becoming a history hero through our Patreon. Thank you for listening and see you guys next week.